come to attend. We ask you to bless those that are not here. And Father God, we pray that um, we will take something away that will be beneficial um, to us as we seek to serve you and to be more like you. Father, we ask these in all things in the name of your son, Jesus. And we all say, amen. Amen. Thank you, Terry. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture from the book of Matthew. And there's actually a parallel of this passage in Mark and Luke also. So Jesus has this same passage three times in, in scripture. And each time you have it in a parallel passage, there's a little bit of a detail, additional detail that's added to it. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. And if you look at the note there at the top, the title is The Rich Young Ruler, Possessions and Eternal Life. This rich young ruler came to Jesus because he knew he needed to be saved. In his soul, he had a yearning for something more than money and power. And yet when Jesus gave him the truth, what he needed to do, how to smash the idol that was in his life, preventing him from being saved and coming into the kingdom, he refused to do it. And he went away sad. And John Bunyan was a Puritan. And he has this quote here, a full purse with a lean soul is a great curse. So if you have a lot of money, but you're not saved, the money becomes a curse unto death. So Matthew 19, 16 through 26. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What yet lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So if we look at the top of page two, the first point here is works will not earn us eternal life. Only true faith is acceptable with God. So this rich young ruler, now in the Bible definition of what is young, for example, a woman that's young is of childbearing age. So it's probably somewhere in your teens up until late 30s or 40. It's not defined specifically how old 
this rich young ruler was. But he was very wealthy. And in one of the other parallel passages, it says he was a ruler. So we know he was probably also affiliated with the local synagogue. Jesus at this time is preaching on the east side of the Jordan River, quite a ways from Jerusalem. And this is about four months before he goes to the cross. So this is approximately three years into his public ministry. So Jesus is 33 years old at this point, and he's a wanted man. The scribes and the Pharisees have a death sentence on him, and if anybody finds him, they can stone him. With that said, Jesus is preaching his final messages before he goes to the cross. Matthew 19, 16, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he calls him a good master. So he recognizes that Jesus has authority. He perhaps doesn't know that Jesus is God because in the very presence of God, it would be much easier to be saved. And he says, what thing shall I do? His idea of salvation was works-based. What shall I do? How much money do I need to give to the church? How much work do I need to do? And then I can earn my salvation. But Isaiah 64, 6 says, we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, our sins, like the wind, have taken us away. You know, we all start out young and strong when we're young. Most of you in this room, you're young yet. <laughs> you're not older like myself. But the leaves in the, in the springtime, they're green. And they're strong. They're very productive for whatever that tree needs as far as nourishment. They provide it. But then the fall comes. And those leaves start to turn shades of gold and red and orange. And then they turn brown and they fall off the tree. God says all of us in our life, that's the way we are. We're all as an unclean thing and our iniquities, like the wind, like those leaves blow away, that's the way our lives blow away. And we, know, we don't know where those leaves went. And you know in a hundred years, nobody will know where you are in this room except for God. I don't know any of my relatives that lived a hundred years ago. My mom, she's 86, she can tell me about her memories from when she was a child of people who were still alive in her life, but I've never met them. And the same thing with everybody in this room. We don't know who our ancestors were 100 years ago. So what really matters is what you do with your life here while you're in time. Because once you die, you step into eternity and you no longer will be impacting people directly. Mark 10, 17, this is one of the parallel passages. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running. And he kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he came running up to Jesus. He had heard about him and he wanted to meet him. And it says he came and kneeled to him. He was very respectful. By calling him good master, that, wasn't, that was a very respectful term. He wasn't trying to be disrespectful at all. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Nothing we can do will get us into heaven. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The only way we will be saved is for the Lord to wash away our sins through faith 
that he died on the cross and his blood is, a, is the atonement, the price for the wages of our sins. Matthew 19, 17, And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. Was Jesus going against the word and saying, if you keep the commandments, you can get into heaven? No, because nobody can keep the commandments. What he's trying to do is bring to this young man's attention that he's not as good as he thinks he is. The Bible says if we offended one point, we're guilty of all the commandments. And which one of us in this room has not lied? That's one of the Ten Commandments. We have all broken all Ten Commandments in one form or another. Ecclesiastes 20 says, There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Matthew 19.18 And the rich man said unto Jesus, Which? And then Jesus said, Thou shalt not murder, commit adultery, steal, or bear false witness. What really it boils down to is, if you keep God's commandments, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what Romans 13 teaches us. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then Romans 13.10 explains it even further. It says, love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So if we want to keep God's commandments, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's very difficult to do. I'm going to be preparing Christmas dinner here in, in less than two weeks for my family. I really don't want to prepare the dinner for everybody in my neighborhood. I mean, in many ways it's not practical, but the thought really never entered into my mind. So at the end of the day, none of us really love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Matthew 19, 19, Jesus going on further says, Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus, Old Testament scripture says in Leviticus 19, 18, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So God is giving us that as a commandment. He's ending that verse by saying, I am the Lord. I just told you that. When we obey our parents, that's a verse with promise. Ephesians 6, 1 and 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. First off, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Well, what is the promise? That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. One of the ways you can have a long life on this earth is by honoring your parents. Because that's one of the promises God gives us. And in, especially in America, many children dishonor their parents. They do not honor them. And the older I get, the more I realize parents are really special. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom celebrated her 86th birthday on Thanksgiving Day. And, and my dad will be 82 on Christmas Day. Wow. Yeah. We need to honor our parents. What goes around comes back around to you. And God says the promise is it will be well with you and you'll have a long life. Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three... 
But the greatest of these is charity. And every time you see charity in 1 Corinthians 13, it really means love. It translates love. Reading that verse again, and now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, we can't go to heaven without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you would think faith would be very, very high on God's list, but it's not the greatest. The greatest is love. The second point here, the rich young ruler was seeking eternal life, but not the righteousness of God. He wanted to go into heaven his way. And that's the way most people are in America today. They want to go to heaven their way. God says there's only one way. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. But most people, they want to have their sinful lifestyle, say they believe in Jesus, but not give up the sin. And that's doing it their own way. And this rich man was one of these people defined that way. Jesus was telling him how to be saved, but he went away sad because he rejected it. He wanted to go to heaven his way by keeping his money. And just think about that. Here's a young man, he's very wealthy, and he's a ruler, he has power. And God is telling him to give it up. And not only that, but God says, take up your cross and follow me. He knew what a cross was. They crucified people outside Jerusalem on cross. The Romans did. People died on crosses. And God says, take up your cross and follow me. And he didn't want any part of it. And now the rich young ruler says to Jesus, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? I heard a pastor preaching on this verse and he said, you can stop right there and say to the rich young ruler, liar. All these things have I kept from my youth up, liar. He's saying he's basically a perfect young man. He hasn't offended any of these laws. Matthew 5.20 says, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's no way he could exceed the righteousness of these scribes and Pharisees, even though they were hypocrites. But they said all of these rules, there was over 600 rules that they tried to keep. Nobody could keep those rules. And you can't, keeping rules doesn't get you to heaven anyway. That's why God called them hypocrites. 1 John 2, 4 and 5 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. This man, the truth was not in him. He had a, a spirit of guile. Guile means deceit. It's a lying spirit. And his lying spirit was telling him he was good. He was keeping the commandments. And Jesus was trying to point out to him, you're not keeping the commandments. Jesus is zeroing in on the issue with him. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus, when he looked at him, he knew the condition of his soul. He knew he was on his way to hell. See, Jesus is, a, is God. God is a spirit. God can see in the spirit world. He knows everything about us in the spirit world. We can hide in the physical world things about us from people, but in the spirit world, we can't hide anything. And Jesus knew that this rich young ruler was on his way to hell. Mark 10, 21, 
this is a parallel passage. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. You see what this passage says? It says Jesus loved him. Jesus wasn't speaking condemnation to him. He wasn't saying, you're on your way to hell. Please leave my presence. He was lovingly telling him what he had to do to be saved. Now, why did Jesus say, go sell everything you have? Because that was his idol. Maybe my idol is different or your idol in this room would be different. I'm not a rich man, so money isn't my idol. We all have different besetting sins. Some of us might have alcohol or drugs. Some of us might have a lust problem. Some of us might put our job as number one. A pastor once said, whatever you think about the most during the day, that's your God. Do you think about Jesus the most? Or do you think about your family? A lot of people put their family before God. It's sad to say. God wants to be number one. If he's not number one, we have a false idol taking God's place. And he's looking directly at this rich young ruler and he's saying, your money is your idol taking my place. So he said, you need to smash your idol. How would he smash the idol? Selling his properties and giving it to the poor. Now I think that if he would have started to liquidate his properties, he would have got to the first or second property and God would have said, okay, you got rid of your idol, now keep what you have. In fact, I'm gonna bless you more. I'm gonna double what you have, like he did with Job. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him that has chosen him to be a soldier. So let's say we were looking at, it was daylight out, maybe you know, three, four in the afternoon. We were looking toward the mountains. And when you're like in Bedford, on 501, you can see the mountains really well. They're very clear. And let's say we were all in the military. We were given a command, tomorrow morning at five o'clock in the morning, we're gonna have to go, there's a hill up there and there's terrorists that have set up a camp. And they have heavy artillery. They have bazookas, they have missiles. They're ready to kill us. Our job is to take that hill. And there's 20 of us. Now, do you think the night before you're going to be thinking about, hmm, I wonder if I change the oil in my van. I wonder what color I'm going to paint the living room next year. Hmm, I wonder if the leaves are raked out of my backyard. You're going to be worried about if you're going to die tomorrow. In the spirit world, God says, no man that wareth entangle himself with the affairs of this life. This rich man was entangled with the affairs of this life. He was worried about his money. He wasn't worried about the spiritual warfare that we're involved with. Philippians 3a, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. This is Paul speaking. And he says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul gave up everything to follow Jesus and to win souls. And he goes on to say, and do count them but dumb, that I may win souls for Christ. Now, back to the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away sorrowful. 
He came to Jesus knowing something was missing in his life. He wasn't content. He wasn't happy. He knew, spiritually speaking, something was missing. And from the world's point of view, he had it all. He was young, rich, and powerful. But he was empty. Jesus just told him what he had to do to fill up his cup. And he refused to do it. And he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is money. You cannot serve God and money. You have to make your choice in life. Luke 12, 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Covetousness means when you want more and more of something. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You might acquire many things in your life, but when you die, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse. You cannot take it with you. Somebody else is going to get everything that you earn and make and save. That's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Yeah. You know. All is vanity. Yeah. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's just at the end of the book. He says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Yeah. And the thing is here, our life isn't of the things that we acquire. In a hundred years, nobody cares what kind of car I drove or where I lived in what house I took or where I went on vacation. Nobody will care. The only thing that's valuable is what we do for the Lord where he gives us rewards in heaven. But see, that takes faith. It took faith on the part of this rich young ruler to go sell what he had and give to the poor and to believe that there were rewards in heaven for that. And he didn't have faith. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is a bad thing. And the Bible says it's the root, deep down in the ground, which bears evil fruit. And it says when that roots yield the plant and the plant yields the fruit, the fruits have people that err from the faith. That means they don't come into the faith. And indeed, even a Christian who follows that path will pierce themselves through with many sorrows. The third point today, a spiritually fatal error is believing doing good is the same as being just. Matthew nineteen twenty three. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now here's the setting. This rich young ruler came to Jesus. He was excited. He was running up to him and he came on his knees and he called him good master. All the disciples saw this. And in the Jewish culture, they believed that if you were rich, God loved you and was blessing you. If you were poor, God didn't love you and was taking his blessings away from you. So when Jesus says... Truly I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. They were amazed and they were surprised because that was totally against the grain of what they believed. Psalm 49, 6 and 7 says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him.
All the money that we earn, that we save, that we collect, that we store, whatever, it's not going to do anything in the spirit world. It will not buy or redeem any soul. Hosea 13.6 is very descriptive. It talks about us having a pasture. A pasture is where animals go and feed. The analogy is in our life, especially here in America, we have rich pastures. We have jobs, we have schooling, we buy houses, we buy cars, fancy clothes, we go on vacation. All of that is our pasture. It's where we live. It's where we have our life. And it says, so they were filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Americans today, their heart is exalted. They don't want to give God any glory. And it says, therefore, have they forgotten me? It's more difficult for a rich person to be saved because they forget about God. They don't need God in their life. It's the people who are needy who are crying out. They find God much more easily. Let's look at the top of page four. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whosoever will save his soul, save his life, shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. That's just the opposite of what we think. Most people, they want to be safe in their life. They build a secure house. They take all their medicines. They go to the doctor for annual physicals. They take care of themselves. In the physical realm, they're doing very good. But God says, if you don't attend to your soul, you're going to lose it. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Matthew 16, 26, the next verse. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If Bill Gates, who I think he was just passed up, now Jeff Bezos, the guy who owns Amazon, is the richest guy in the world now. If those men don't receive Christ as their Savior, all of their money will not buy them away into heaven. They could give all of their money away and it still wouldn't matter to God. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Or if he shall gain the whole world? Nothing. There's nothing you can give that God wants. Matthew 19, 24. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, this is the most important part of our lesson tonight, and this is where we need to zero in. Think of a big camel. They're huge animals. They weigh several thousand pounds, a mature male. And now think of a little needle that you sew a button on your pants or your shirt that fell off. And the hole of that needle, the eye of that needle is very, very small. That camel, there's no way for that camel to go through there. It will never, ever happen. This is the physical world. Now, to be saved, that's a spiritual thing. There's no way that camel will go through the needle, nor does it even have to go through the needle for anybody to be saved. How you're saved is by repenting of your sins and turning to God, and that's in the spirit world. Let's look at this a little bit more closely. John 5, 44. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? See, in the physical realm, we want to wear fancy clothes, drive a nice car, join clubs, be seen, be recognized, and have our 15 minutes of fame. We, we do our selfies and put them on Facebook. That's the world today. 
God says here, how can you believe which receive honor one of another? Everybody does their 500 likes on their Facebook page, but they don't seek the honor that comes from God only. James 2, 9 and 10. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sins. In other words, if you elevate some people above other people, if you have respect of persons, not like you disrespect or respect somebody, it's respecting by giving them a higher level. And this rich man, he hung out with other rich people. Rich people don't typically hang around with street bums. It doesn't go together. So God says here in James, if you respect other people, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. At the judgment seat, they will be convinced of the law that they should transgress the law. And then he goes on to say, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend at one point, he's guilty of all. And then he goes on in James in chapter five, he says, go to now you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Those miseries are in hell. And he's saying your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Their garment is their own self-righteousness, which is full of sin and filthy in the spirit world. And God says, if you want to get into the marriage supper of the Lamb, the feast of the King in heaven, you have to have the right garment on. Only the people with pure garments will get into the marriage supper of the Lamb. How do we get a pure garment? By receiving Christ as our Savior, and his blood washes away our sins. And then in the spirit world, the Father looks down on our soul and goes, yep, that's clean. It's clean by the blood. But if we stand there without the blood of Christ washing away that sin, that filth, that defilement, then our clothes will be moth-eaten, just like James says. And then we will weep and howl because of the miseries that come upon us. Matthew 19.25 when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed and said, who then can be saved? Well, here is who can be saved. Anybody who receives Christ. Let's look at a couple of verses. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is saying the power of salvation is hearing the word of God. Next verse, 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This righteousness of God, which we need to be clothed with, or we're going to have a moth-eaten garment at the judgment day, we need that clothing of righteousness that only God can give, and it comes from faith. And it's from faith to faith. So somebody with faith has to preach the word of God and share their faith with somebody who doesn't have faith. And that's how they get faith. Let's look at Romans 10, 13 and 14. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's almost like a circle. Somebody has to preach the word in order for them to hear. They have to hear in order to believe. And they have to believe in order to be saved. It all, it, all. it all goes together. And we need people to share the word of God. If you're sharing your testimony with somebody who's a non-believer, you're in effect being a preacher of the word. 
And that's the power of God onto salvation. So Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus said to his disciples, with men, this salvation, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Think about that camel again. In the physical world, there's no way it will go through the eye of the needle. Nor does it have to. But over here in the spirit world, you need to be born again. And let's look at a couple of verses. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything impossible for God? No. Anything is possible with God. He made a virgin pregnant with Jesus. Luke chapter 1, 36 and 37. This is talking about Elizabeth. She's the mother of John the Baptist. And she was six months pregnant when Mary went to visit. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. This was in effect a double miracle. Because Elizabeth, she was barren her whole life. She never became pregnant. And now she's old. She's past the age of having a baby. And then she gets pregnant. It's a double miracle. The same thing happened with Sarah in the Old Testament. Because of Sarah's faith. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She believed that Jesus could make her pregnant. And if you remember that story, it was very interesting. Jesus came with two angels to visit Abram and Sarai. And the two angels the next day went to Sodom and Gomorrah and rained down fire from heaven on them. And they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But the day before, Jesus came and communed. This is, by the way, 1,800 years before Christ was born. Jesus was in the flesh 1,800 years before he was born. Only God can do that. And he said, this time next year, you're going to have a baby. And Sarah was working in the tent, and she heard that, and she laughed to herself. And then Jesus said to her, why are you laughing? And then she denied it. But somewhere in the next three months, she had to get right with God because she did indeed get pregnant and a year later she was a mom. Very neat story. John 3, 5, and 6 says, now this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus at night and he too was searching. And he said, what must I do? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And he said, how can I enter in a second time into my mama's womb and be born? And then Jesus said, no. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, that's the natural birth, your mama's water breaks, and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that's the camel, going through the eye of the needle. It's never going to get into heaven. And representing that, that rich young ruler, he's never going to get into heaven by the water. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So that rich young ruler can go into heaven, not going through the eye of the needle by doing something but work of righteousness, but he can go into heaven through simple faith. Now, how do you get faith? You have to have godly sorrow for your sins. Godly sorrow works repentance onto salvation. You can't be saved without being sorry for your sins. 
Only God can give you that sorrow. So if you're not saved, you need to cry out to Jesus and say, will you please make me sorry for my sins? I want to be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This camel is now a new creature in Christ. Once we're saved, we're no longer that dirty, vile bum on the way to hell. We're now a new creature in Christ. And when God the Father looks down upon us, he sees us without sin. Even though we still are in the flesh. Even though the old Adam nature is still in us. And it will be until we receive a glorified body. Either when Jesus comes back at the rapture, or when we come out of the grave at his second coming. One of the two. Revelation, this, we'll close with this verse tonight. 22.14 Blessed are they that do his commandments. Not out of a position of, I need to do this in order to earn my way into heaven, but because we love God. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. This city that's being talked of is New Jerusalem in heaven. And there's a tree of life. Every month it gets a new fruit. And we're big in America about our rights. Freedom of speech, right to bear arms, right to assemble. Well, there's a right that we need to have in heaven. And God says, blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to eat the fruit of the tree of life, and that they may enter in through the gates. Many people are going to stand at that pearly gate. Actually, there's multiple gates. There's 12 pearly gates. And they're going to say, Jesus, can I come into the kingdom? Can I come into heaven? I want to drink of that river of water. I want to eat of the tree of life. And God's going to say, you don't have the right garment on. Yours is moth-eaten, and you don't have the righteousness of Christ. But they that do his commandments out of love they will have the right to eat of the tree of life. Would somebody close us then with a prayer or we're finished with the lesson? Father, it's once again that we come before you in the presence of your Son, Jesus, and your Holy Spirit. We come with humble hearts and thankful minds, and we say thank you for what our eyes have seen and our ears have heard. Father, we thank you for the word that came forth and the messenger that you sent. Father, we thank you for everybody in attendance. And we just ask that um, our hearts and spirits be open to what we've heard, that it may saturate and that it would work for us in a tangible way that we can see some results. Father, we thank you for just allowing us to be able to attend and for putting it on um, you know, the heart of the people that run the program and allow us to be. Father, we ask you to be with us now as we separate and go our separate ways. We ask for your protection and your covering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.